Hints on Driving This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Ginger Cucolo Hints on Driving by C.S. Ward it has been said and not perhaps without reason that a man who is conscious that he possesses some practical knowledge of a science and yet refrains from giving the public the benefit of his information is open to the imputation of selfishness to avoid that charge as far as lies in my power i propose in the course of the following pages to give my readers the benefit of my tolerably long experience in the art of driving four horses an art which i acquired under the following circumstances my father was a coach proprietor as well as a coachman, and I am proud to say one of the best whips of his day. He gave me many opportunities of driving a team. I will not, however, enter into all the details of my youthful career, but proceed to state that at the early age of seventeen I was sent nightly with the Norwich and Ipswich mail as far as Colchester, a distance of fifty-two miles never having previously travelled beyond whitechapel church on that line of the road the change was rather trying for a beginner but fortune favoured me and i drove his majesty's mail for nearly five years without an accident i was then promoted to the quicksilver devonport mail the fastest at that time out of london it must be admitted that i undertook this task under difficult circumstances involving as it did sixty miles a night since many had tried it ineffectually or at all events were unable to accomplish the duty satisfactorily it is gratifying to me to reflect that i drove this coach more than seven years without a single mishap getting at length rather tired of such incessant and monotonous nightly work i applied for a change to my employer the well-known and much respected mr chaplin who at that time had seventeen hundred horses employed in coaching his reply was characteristic i cannot find you all day coaches said he besides who am i to get to drive your mail i must say i thought this rather severe at the time but good and kind-hearted man as he was he did not forget me not long after this interview the brighton day mail being about to start he made me the offer to drive the whole distance and horse the coach a stage with the option of driving it without horsing like most young men i was rather ambitious and closed with the former conditions the speculation, however, did not turn out a very profitable one, and the railway making great progress. I sold my horses to Mr. Richard Cooper, who was to succeed me on the box. I was then offered the far-famed Exeter Telegraph, one of the fastest and best appointed coaches in England. My fondness for coaching still continuing, and not feeling disposed to settle to any business, I drove this coach from Exeter to Ilminster and back a distance of sixty-six miles early in the morning and late at night after driving it three years the railway opened to bridgewater this closed the career of the once celebrated telegraph but those who had so long shared its success were not inclined to knock under my brother coachman and myself together with the two guards accordingly started a telegraph from devonport to london a distance of ninety-five miles by road joining the rail at bridgewater thus making the whole journey two hundred and fifty miles in one day at that time there was a coach called the nonpareil running from devonport to bristol the proprietors of this vehicle thinking that ours would take off some of their trade made theirs a london coach also and started at the same time as we did we then commenced a strong opposition i had a very good man to contend against william harbridge a first-class coachman 
we had several years of strong opposition the rail decreasing the distance every year till it opened to exeter the nonpareil was then taken off and they started a coach called the tally-ho against the poor old telegraph both coaches left exeter at the same time and this caused great excitement many bets a bottle of wine dinners for a dozen and five-pound notes were laid as to which coach would arrive first at plymouth i had my old friend harbridge again as my competitor the hotel that i started from was a little farther down the street than the one whence the tally-ho appeared so that as soon as i saw my friend harbridge mounting the box i did the same and made the running we had all our horses ordered long before the usual time harbridge came sailing away after me the faster he approached the more i put on the steam he never caught me and having some trifling accident with one of his horses over the last stage he enabled me to reach plymouth thirty-five minutes before he came in my guard who resided in st albans street devonport hurried home and as the other coach passed he called out and asked him to stop and have some supper they also passed my house which was a little further on in fourth street i was sitting at the window smoking and offered them a cigar as they passed a joke they did not of course much relish the next night they declared they would be in first but it was of no use the old telegraph was not to be beaten thus it went on for several weeks somehow they were never able to get in first we did the fifty miles several times in three hours and twenty-eight minutes that is at the average rate of a mile and four minutes and nine seconds including stoppages and for months together we never exceeded four hours still in every contest one party must ultimately give in that one however was not the telegraph we settled our differences and went on quietly for the remainder of the time occasionally having a little flutter as we used to call it in those days but we were always good friends should this narrative chance to meet the eye of some of those who used to travel with us in bygone times they will doubtless well remember the pace we used to go after a few years a railway opened to plymouth and many gentlemen asked me to start a fast coach into cornwall promising to give it to their patronage i accordingly started the tally-ho making it a day coach from truro to london joining the rail at plymouth this was a very difficult road for a fast coach but we ran it till government offered the contract for a mail we then converted the tally-ho into a mail and ran it till the rail opened to truro it will have been seen that i kept the coaching nearly as long as there were any coaches left to drive i had for some years given up driving regularly having taken the horse bazaar at plymouth where i used to supply officers of the garrison with teams and give them instructions in driving this i still continue to do and in every variety of driving it gives me indeed much pleasure to see many of my pupils daily handling their teams skillfully not a few of them giving me good reason to be really proud of them as i know they do me credit in my description of my driving career i stated that i had never had an accident i ought to have said no serious casualty never having upset or injured any one but i have had many trifling mishaps such as running foul of a wagon in a fog having my whole team down in slippery weather on many occasions i have had a wheel come off but still nothing that could fairly be termed a bad accident during the last twenty-five years i have been engaged keeping livery stables and breaking horses to harness and in that period i have had some very narrow escapes in one instance the box of a new double brake came off and pitched me astride across the pole between two young horses 
i once had the top of the pole come off when driving two high-couraged horses a horse set to kicking and ran away with me in single harness as i was of course pulling at him very hard my feet went through the bottom of the dog-cart he kicking furiously all the time fortunately i escaped with only a few bruises on another occasion in single harness a mare began kicking and before i could get her head up she ran against the area railings of a house in princess square plymouth broke both shafts and split the brake into matches myself and man nearly went through the kitchen window into the arms of the cook she did not however ask us to stop and dine i can mention many little events of a similar kind and consider myself very fortunate in having never had anything more serious than a sprained ankle or wrist during my tolerably long career i will now commence my instructions rule one selection of the team the first thing the pupil should do is to select four horses as nearly as possible of the same temper never keep a puller for it takes your attention from things that require all your care makes your arms ache in fact does away with all pleasure i should recommend hiring or purchasing four horses that will give you no trouble and when you can pull them about and do nearly as you please with them you can then get your permanent team which will require very judicious selection particularly if you intend to pride yourself upon color as well as action i was told by a gentleman that he was ten years getting a perfect team of black browns he did not confine himself to price and he certainly now has a very nice team and they ought indeed to be perfect after all the time labor and expense that have been bestowed upon them rule two mounting the box put the forefinger of your right hand through the leading reins and the third finger between the wheel reins fill your wheel horse's mouth slightly take your near side reins a little shorter than your off so that in case your horses attempt to start before you are properly seated you have the reins all of the same length and being properly separated you can put them into your left hand as quickly as possible and at once have your horses under control this will if attended to always prevent accidents some gentlemen get on the box and have the reins handed to them by a groom who does not know how to separate them this is not only an unbusinesslike but a dangerous practice rule three the seat place yourself well on the box sit upright but easily with your knees a little bent some gentlemen almost stand with a thick cushion reaching above the rail of the box and their toes several inches over the footboard this is not only unsightly but attended with risk for if you came in contact with the curbstone or any trifling obstruction you might very readily and most likely would be thrown from your seat the rail of the box ought always to be a few inches above the cushion rule four turning in going round a corner point your leader that is take hold of your leading rein and get your leaders well round then take hold of your wheel rein as well all four horses will come round as evenly as though they were on a straight road most persons are careless about the mode of going round a corner as long as they get round safely they think it quite sufficient they take hold of both reins and haul away the consequence is they get the fore part of the carriage and the wheel horses round before the leaders are square this i think looks very bad for it is a really pretty sight to see four horses coming round straight and thus showing that they are under perfect control always steady your carriage before attempting to turn in case you should chance to meet anything coming in the opposite direction besides there is no object in going fast around a corner even if pressed for time always use precaution for in driving as in other phases of life you will find it much easier to keep out than to get out 
of grief rule five descending a hill in going down a hill steady and feel the weight of the carriage you have behind you go off the top as quietly as you can for you will discover before you get halfway down if it is at all a steep hill the impetus will be so much increased that you will have quite enough to do to keep your coach steady and your horses under control the patent drag is a great boon which we had not in the old coaching days i have many times gone off the top of a hill and before i got halfway down wished that i had put on the shoe but another coach coming behind with perhaps a lighter load than i had they would have passed me while i was putting on the drag this was the reason we sometimes neglected it but you can always go faster downhill with the drag than without it rule six position of the hands keep your left hand up with about ten or twelve inches of your chest with your arm and wrist a little bent you will then have your reins in such a position that your right hand will be able to assist the other without throwing your body forward to reach them many instead of putting the right hand just in front of the left and drawing the rein back towards them put the right hand at least a foot before the other and push the reins consequently they lose nearly all power over the horses and draw the reins away from the left hand besides being unskillful this has a very ugly appearance rule seven uniformity of draught to drive slowly is much more gentlemanlike and at the same time more difficult than going fast keep your horses well together to do this properly you must know how to arrange their couplings i think i cannot better explain this than to ask my readers to notice the working of the horses if you see one a little in front of the other you may judge that he is either stronger or more free consequently his coupling requires shortening or that of the other horse lengthening to shorten it you must bring the buckle towards you and to let it out put the buckle towards the horse's head most inexperienced persons resort to the whip not knowing what is the cause of the fault they wish to remedy this will make the strong or free horse throw himself more into his collar the other meanwhile cannot get up to him however much he may try the result is he becomes more and more disheartened if you use the whip at all it must be very lightly and quietly so that the freer or stronger horse may not hear it at the same time hold them both well together if he is not a sluggard he will gradually work up to the other again if you notice one horse carrying his head unpleasantly you may judge there is some cause for it perhaps he is curbed too lightly or his coupling is too short or his rein ought to be over that of the other horse instead of under it for as may be supposed all horses do not carry their heads alike but all these little matters require watching and studying and with practice they will all become familiar enough and you will notice whether or not all your horses go pleasantly together for depend on it the more pleasantly they go the more pleasure and comfort you will experience in driving them and as the old coaching term expressed when you can cover them over with a sheet you may conclude they are going about right rule eight the use of the whip i will now come to the whip the use of which most young beginners want to acquire in the first instance let me advise them to practice the art of catching it in their sitting or bedroom for if they try to learn it when they are driving they annoy their horses a gentleman whom i was teaching said it was so simple he would not go to bed till he could catch it properly i saw him a fortnight afterwards but he had not even then succeeded he told me he had not been to bed but i will not vouch for the accuracy of this part of the anecdote the art like many others is very easy when you know how to do it the turn of the wrist with a slight jerk of the elbow is the proper way to accomplish it 
the less the whip is used while driving the better for it will only get you into trouble if used improperly if a horse shies never flog him for it timidity is generally the cause of shying unless his eyes are defective of course whipping can do no good in that case speak kindly to him that is the best way if he be young as he becomes better acquainted with objects and gains confidence he will most likely give up the trick i will make a few more observations on the whip if you can use it well use it seldom and before you strike a horse always take hold of his head if you do this you will find the slightest touch will have the desired effect it is a pretty art to be able with certainty to touch a leader under the bar without making a noise with the lash or letting any of the other horses know anything about it the near leader is the most difficult one to reach as you must completely turn your wrist over very few can do it well in fact many of the old professionals could never do it neatly i trust that some will benefit from these instructions for there are really few more agreeable sights than that of a good-looking team handled neatly by a gentleman who sits well with perhaps a lady beside him on the box i am much pleased to find that the taste for four-in-hand driving is increasing of late and am glad to say some gentlemen drive very well it is easy enough to detect those who are self-taught from those who have received instruction from a professional man many think that driving can be acquired without teaching i wonder if any gentleman would like to dance in a ballroom without first taking lessons and yet some do not hesitate to drive four horses a feat attended with much danger not only to the public generally but to themselves and those who accompany them if undertaken without due knowledge before concluding i will relate to some of the difficulties we had to encounter in foggy weather we were obliged to be guided out of london with torches seven or eight males falling one after the other the guard of the foremost male lighting the one following and so on till the last we travelled at a slow pace like a funeral procession many times i have been three hours going from london to hounslow i remember one very foggy night instead of my arriving at bagshot a distance of thirty miles from london and my destination at eleven o'clock i did not get there till one in the morning i had to leave again at four the same morning on my way back to town when the fog was very bad i was coming over hounslow heath when i reached the spot where the old powder mills used to stand i saw several lights in the road and heard voices which induced me to stop the old exeter mail which left bagshot thirty minutes before i did had met with a singular accident it was driven by a man named gambier his leaders had come in contact with the hay-cart on its way to london which caused them to turn suddenly round break the pole and blunder down a steep embankment at the bottom of which was a narrow deep ditch filled with water and mud the mail-coach pitched on to the stump of a willow tree that overhung the ditch the coachman and outside passengers were thrown over into the meadow beyond and the horses went into the ditch the unfortunate wheelers were drowned or smothered in the mud there were two inside passengers who were extricated with some difficulty but fortunately no one was injured i managed to take the passengers with the guard and mail-bags on to london leaving the coachman to wait for daylight before he could make an attempt to get the mail up the embankment they endeavoured to accomplish this with cart horses and chains they had nearly reached the top of the bank when something gave way and the poor old mail went back into the ditch again i shall never forget the scene there were about a dozen men from the powder mills trying to render assistance and with their black faces each bearing a torch in his hand they presented a curious spectacle this happened about thirty years ago 
posts and rails were erected at the spot after the accident i passed the place last summer they are still there as well as the old pollard willow stump i recollect another singular circumstance occasioned by fog there were eight males that passed through hounslow the bristol bath gloucester and stroud took the right-hand road from hounslow the exeter yevil pool and quicksilver devonport which was the one i was driving went the straight road towards stens we always saluted each other when passing with good-night bill dick or harry as the case might be i was once passing a male mine being the faster and gave my wonted salute a coachman named downs was driving the stroud mail he instantly recognized my voice and said charlie what are you doing on my road it was he however who had made the mistake he had taken the stens instead of the slop road out of hounslow we both pulled up immediately he had to turn round and go back which was a feat attended with much difficulty in such a fog had it not been for our usual salute he would not have discovered his mistake before arriving at stens this mishap was about as bad as getting into a wrong train i merely mentioned the circumstance to show that it was no joke driving a night mail in those days november was the month we dreaded most the fogs were generally so bad a singular event happened with the bath mail that ran between bath and devonport its time for arriving at devonport was eleven o'clock at night one eventful evening they had set down all their outside passengers except a mrs cox who kept a fish stall in devonport market she was an immense woman weighing about twenty stone at yomton where the coachman and guard usually had their last drain before arriving at their destination being a cold night they kindly sent mrs cox a drop of something warm the servant girl who had bought out the glass not being able to reach the lady they also very imprudently left the horses heads to do the polite the animals hearing someone getting on the coach doubtless concluded that it was the coachman at the same time finding themselves free and being probably anxious to get home started off at their usual pace and performed the seven miles in safety passing over the lara bridge and through the toll bar keeping clear of everything on the road mrs cox meanwhile sat on the coach with her arms extended in the attitude of a spread eagle and vainly trying to attract the attention of those she met or passed on the road she very prudently however abstained from screaming as she thought she might otherwise have alarmed the horses they indeed only trotted at their ordinary speed and came to a halt of their own accord at the door of the king's arms hotel plymouth where they were in the habit of stopping to discharge some of the freight of the coach the boots and officer came running out to attend to their accustomed duties but to their astonishment beheld no one but the affrighted mrs cox on the coach and two passengers inside who were happily wholly unconscious of the danger to which they had been exposed the coachman and guard soon arrived in a post-chaise poor mrs cox drank many quarters of gin to steady her nerves before she felt able to continue her journey to devonport where she carried on a prosperous trade for many years many people patronized her on purpose to hear her narrate the great event of her life i often used to chaff her and hear her repeat the history of her memorable adventure i will add a little anecdote of bob pointer who was on the oxford road giving his ideas on coaching to a young gentleman who was on the box with him on his way to college he said soldiers and sailors may soon learn to fight lawyers and parsons go to college where they are crammed with all sorts of nonsense that all the nobs have read and wrote since adam of course very good if they like it but to be a coachman sir you must go into the stable almost before you can run alone and learn the nature of horses and the difference between corn and chaff 
well can i remember the first morning i went out with four horses i never slept a wink all night i got a little flurried coming out of the yard and looking around on the envious chaps who were watching me it was as bad as getting married at least i think i should think so never having been in that predicament myself i have escaped that dilemma for he concluded when a man is always going backwards or forwards between two points what is the use of a wife a coachman could never be much more than half married now if the law in the case of coachmen allowed two wives that would be quite another story because he could get then have the tea things set out at both ends of his journey driving sir is very like life it's all so smooth when you start with the best team so well behaved and handsome but get on a bit and you will find you have some hills to get up and down with all sorts of horses as they used to give us over the middle ground another thing sir never let your horses know you are driving them or like women they may get restive don't pull and haul and stick your elbows akimbo keep your hands as though you were playing the piano let every horse be at work and don't get flurried handle their mouths lightly do all this and you might even drive four young ladies without ever ruffling their feathers or their tempers my readers will not perhaps deem it altogether an inappropriate conclusion to this very humble treatise if i annex for their amusement if not for their edification the last dying speech of the coachman from bembridge and some two or three other mementos of a period and of an institution which have both alas long since passed away and forever the last dying speech of the coachman from bembridge the days, nay, the very nights of those who have so long reigned supreme over the nonpareils and the brilliance, the telegraphs and the stars, the magnets and the emeralds are nearly at an end, and the final way bill of the total eclipse is made up. It is positively their last appearance on this stage. In a few weeks they will be unceremoniously pushed from their boxes by an inanimate thing of vapor and flywheels, by a meddling fellow in a clean white jacket and a face not ditto to match who mounted on the engine platform has for some weeks been flourishing a red-hot poker over their heads in triumph at their discomfiture and downfall and the turnpike road shorn of its glories is left desolate and lone no more shall the merry rattle of the wheels as the frisky four-in-hand careers in the morning mist summon the village beauty from her toilet to the window-pane to catch a passing nod of gallantry no more shall they loiter by the way to trifle with the pretty coquette in the bar or light up another kind of flame for the fragrant havana fished from among the miscellaneous deposits in the depths of the box-coat pockets true the race were always a little fond of raillery and therefore they die by what they love we speak of course of professional demise but no doubt they hold it hard after having so often pulled up to be thus pulled down from their high eminences and compelled to sink into mere landlords of hotels farmers or private gentlemen yet so it is they are regularly booked their places are taken by one who shows no disposition to make room for them even their coaches are already beginning to crumble into things that have been and their bodies we mean their coach bodies are being seized upon by rural loving folks for the vulgar purpose of summer houses but a few days and they will all vanish and like the baseless fabric of a vision leave not a trace behind 
no not even a buckle or an inch of whipcord and if some years hence a petrified whippletree or the skeleton of a coachman should be turned up they will be hung up side by side with rusty armour and the geological gleanings of our antediluvian ancestors we cannot part with our sibyl obliging gentlemanly friends of the road without a feeling of regret and an expression of gratitude for the benefits they have done us it was pleasant after a warm breakfast to remove our heels from the hob and ensconce oneself by the side of our modern whip to establish a partnership in his cosy leathern apron to see him handling his four-spirited bays as though his reins were velvet and having with a few familiar words and a friendly cigar drawn the cork from the bottle of his varied information to learn as we slapped along at ten miles an hour whose park it was stretching away to the left to listen to his little anecdotes of horse and flesh and his elucidation of the points of the last derby peace to the manes and to the names of our honest coachmen one and all of them and of their horses too we speak of their whippish names for in the body we hope they may long tarry and flourish to boot in other departments of the living an old friend and a new face to the editor of the exeter and plymouth gazette sir you will oblige me by inserting the following in your paper which may be amusing to some of our readers it is a fact well known that when the subscription coaches started in the year eighteen twelve william hanning esq a magistrate of the county of somerset residing near ilminster was a strenuous advocate for their support and it was in great measure owing to his exertions that they were established this gentleman from some motive or other or perhaps from his known fondness for new speculations is now the avowed supporter of a new coach called above all other names the defiance and it is professedly meant as an opposition to the subscription coaches it started from exeter for the first time on sunday april the thirteenth eighteen twenty three one really would have supported that under such patronage a name better calculated to keep the peace of his majesty's liege subjects and to preserve harmony and good will among men would have been adopted for this coach and that some other day might have been selected for its first appearance however the defiance started on the sunday afternoon amidst the shouts and imprecations of guards coachmen and ostlers contending one against the other and having one ill-looking outside passenger whose name was revenge an interesting occurrence took place at ilminster the new defiance was expected to arrive there on its way from town between nine and ten on the sunday morning and it was determined to honour it with ringing the church bells the heroes of the belfry were all assembled every man at his rope's end their souls on fire and eager for the fray the squire was stationed about a mile from ilminster and seeing the coach as he thought coming at a distance he galloped through the street in triumph gave the signal and off went the merry peal every eye was soon directed to this new and delightful object when guess the consternation that prevailed upon seeing instead of the new defiance the poor old subscription trotting nimbly up to the george inn door and tom goodman the guard playing on the key bugle with his usual excellence should old acquaintance be forgot the scene is more easily imagined than described it would have been a fine subject for hogarth the bells were now ordered to cease the squire walked off and was seen no more honest tom was not accustomed to this kind of reception he had enlivened the town with his merry notes a thousand times but now every one looked on him with disdain as if they did not know him he could scarcely suppress his feelings but after a few minutes reflection he mounted his seat again and casting a good-tempered look to all around 
went off playing a tune which the occurrence and the sublimity of the day seemed to dictate to him through all the changing scenes of life we were going to church admired tom's behavior and said it had a very good effect tom arrived safe with his coach at exeter about one o'clock having started from london one hour and a half after the defiance and performed the journey in nineteen hours and a half the defiance arrived about an hour after the subscription but the proprietors of the latter did not approve of this system and gave tom a reprimand directing him in future to keep on his regular steady pace and not to notice the other coach which he promised to attend to but said he only wished to show them on their first journey the way along this under all the circumstances was admitted as an excuse tom went away much pleased with the adventures of his journey and said he should never meet the squire again without playing on his bugle hark to the merry christ church bells i beg leave to remain mr editor your obliged servant a friend to the subscription coaches all the world is a stage-coach it has its insides and outsides and coachmen in their times seem much fun from an old play going to the tune the huntsman winds his horn some people delight in the sports of the turf whilst others love only the chase but to me the delight above all others is a good coach that can go the pace there are some too for whom the sea has its charms and who'll sing of it night and morn but give me a coach with its rattling bars and a guard who can blow his horn but give me a coat and such when the coach comes around to the office door what a crowd to see it start and the thoughts of the drive cheer up many who leave their friends with an aching heart the prads are so anxiously tossing their heads and a nosegay does each one adorn when the dragsman jumps up crying out sit fast while the shooter blows his horn when the dragsman jumps up and such now merrily rolls the coach along like a bird she seems to fly as the girls all look out from the roadside ends from a wink from the dragsman's eye how they long for a ride the man who's the pride of each village through which he is born on that coach which he tools with so skilful a hand while the guard plays a tune on his horn on that coat and such how all the girls all dote on the side of the coach and the dragsman's curly locks as he rattles along with eleven and four and a petticoat on the box that box is his home his teams are his pride and he ne'er feels downcast or forlorn when he lists to the musical sound of the bars and the tune for the shooter's horn when he lists and such i have sung of the joys one feels on a coach and the beauty there is in a team so let us all hope they may ne'er be destroyed by the rascally railroads and steam there are still some good friends who'll stick by the old trade and who truly their absence would mourn so here's a health to the dragsman success to the bars and the guard who blows his horn so here's a health and such and now the tune the queen god bless her see that splendid fast coach well named tally ho with prads that can come the long trot do their twelve miles an hour like flashes they go spinning smoothly along as a top with ward and john hex or hardcastle and judd how devoted they are to the fair in their vest there you find the red rose in the bud perfuming the summer soft air tally ho and such four within and twelve out see they usually start and the horns sounding right merrily good humour and glee do these gay lads impart and their management's right to a tee 
but how shall we grieve when the famed tally-ho shares the fate of those now long gone by yet we'll toast its fond memory wherever we go for the sound of its name shall never die tally-ho and such and such end of hints on driving by c s ward recording by ginger cuckolo